Hello and welcome to another episode of James Bond and Friends. Uh, James Bond this week is on location trying to find a teaser trailer. So I'm your standing host, James Page, uh, from your friends at MI6HQ.com and MI6 Confidential. And this week, I'm delighted to be joined by Bill, David and Joseph. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys? Hi, I'm Bill Koenig and uh, I run a blog called The Spy Command. David Lee here and I run the JamesBondDossier.com. Joseph Darlington checking in, and I uh, run a website and a podcast and a YouTube channel called Being James Bond. Fantastic. So this week, we're going to do a bit of a game show type setup where um, each in turn, randomly, we're going to pick a film that we like that stays pretty close to Fleming's original material. And then conversely, we're going to pick one that strays as far away from it as possible and does something completely original. At the end, we'll have a, a set of four films that are Fleming-y and a f- set of four films that are original, and we'll see how those two groups of films stack up against each other. Um, so I have some random uh, sticky notes with names on, and so to pick the first film that is close to Fleming that they like is David. Okay. Um, well, the, the people can people who have been listening for uh, a while will probably uh, guess what my choice is going to be because it's going to be Thunderball. Um, it is uh, very very similar to the book, and uh, and in fact it was originally written for the screen. So, uh, Fleming wrote his uh, novel based on a screenplay, which got him into trouble. So uh, that's me. Um. What is it about that particular film, David? I mean, I know you mentioned the past, like your scuba diving um, hobby is kind of like yeah, I, I, filters into the lifestyle aspect of it and everything. And the- yeah, uh, I, I think um, it is probably because it's probably a bit the scuba diving, um, but it's kind of the the scale of it. I think is partially it. Um, it's got a lot. It's got a lot of things that, that that are I'm interested in. It has a great location in in the Bahamas, and uh, uh, you know, it's like who doesn't always want to be on holiday? And so <laughs> the, the you know the sunny, uh, the, you know, the Jamaica and, and the Bahamas are, are are very very Bondian for me as a result. And um, and it, to to a certain extent, I, I think I can't um, I can't separate. Uh, my love for the film from the book, and because they they largely you know, the film far, largely follows the the book, um, you know, in my mind it, it's kind of the same entity, and I, I really love the book as well. So uh, I think it's that's also it. one of the first. I'm sorry, it was also one of the first kind of big spectacular Bond films. Um, it, you know, has the jetpack, which of course not in the book, but um, it was very memorable for those of us who saw it first run or close to first run. And then of course that whole sequence where um, the, I don't know what you would call them, but the good guys parachuting in with their orange wetsuits after the uh, bad guys in their black wetsuits. I mean, that's, I mean, I mean, audiences in 1965 just had to get blown away just by the sheer spectacle of that that whole sequence so um you know it's it, it is a very memorable film i i would agree my, my wetsuit's black so i don't know what that says about me <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh or 
orange. No. I don't know who made those orange wetsuits because um, they seem because you don't see them very much. It seems like they were made, you know, roughly between uh, January and uh, March of 1965. Yeah, I, I've wondered about this. There may have been something though, because um, in the UK, um, Action Man, which is yes. GI Joe in the states, it, they they had you could get scuba diving outfit in either black or orange. So I, I think that maybe orange was a was a color that you could get wetsuits in in those days. I just smell a licensing deal for merch. <laughs> yeah. Can you remember, David, seeing the film for the first time after obviously having read the book first and how you felt about it? Or is that too long ago now? It's Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. rubbing my age, thanks. <laughs> I couldn't tell you what I had for dinner yesterday, so I'm not going <laughs> to... Yeah, um, I, I can't. The, the, I can't. The the thing that I do remember was that one year, and it must have been in the 90s, that it was shown on two consecutive bank holidays in the UK. Yeah. Uh, that uh, and but I yeah you know, before that I, I I'd seen it probably a couple of times at least, but I I, I really don't remember now. Right. All but right. It, it, I don't know. It, it's just the yeah the. The the action the underwater action I've always been interested in. I, I love the water. Um, I live fairly near the sea, and uh, you know, I, and I, I guess all these things are, are tied in at some subconscious level. And uh, you know, it was just uh, it, it was the package for me. You know, and it, it, it's so long now that it it's it's difficult it, it's difficult to know um, with with most of the films why. I love them. I just know that I do, and it's it's just uh, it's somewhere in my past. Right. All right. So we have Thunderball on the board from David as in our Fleming list, and next up, Joe. Yeah, I feel like I'm going to grab the obvious one, but I'm going to go with Honor Majesty's Secret Service, and because uh, I, I find it to be uh, it, it's one of the rare occasions where not only is it uh, incredibly uh, faithful to the novel, uh, the one or two things, the one or two liberties, which are which are not many really, uh, but one or two liberties liberties that they actually take, I think, actually improves the film. And I think normally, or at least um, uh, you know, with some exceptions, I would normally say, "Come on, just stick to the book and don't don't deviate." But I find that uh, the the choice at the end to uh, for Blofeld to kidnap Tracy to bring her to Piz Gloria. Uh, really amps up the tension at the end. And it really gives you a lot more of a personal stake in Bond going and, and taking out Blofeld. Uh, but I, I, I've always found that uh, I love reading the book as a, you know, and, and watching the film kind of as companions to one another. And uh, it's one of my personal favorites. Well, and also by doing that, it's like they took the two kind of main storylines of the book, Bond versus Blofeld and Bond falling in love with Tracy, and they made them closer by by doing that, by having yes. Blofeld Caesar. So, that yeah, that's I, I agree. That's an improvement. When did you first come across the film, Joe, in your discovery of Bond? Can you remember? Uh, I can. I can. I was probably around 19 or so, and I was – it was, you know, when my uh, my – James Bond bug was kind of going to the the next level. And I had not even at this point seen all the films yet. And it was ironically, it was my buddy, Scott, who I do my uh, reviews with. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was the one I was at his house one day and we were 
talking about James Bond. And he's, you know, he said, did you, uh, have you seen them all yet? I said, no, well, not all of them. I've seen a lot. And he says, did you see Honor Majesty's Secret Service? And I said, no. So he literally popped in the laser disc. This is, this is how long ago this was. And we sat and watched it. And I thought it was tremendous. And I really, and I was a little nervous back then. Cause again, I'm still, a, you know, not quite in my twenties. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of nervous that some of the old ones might not uh, work for me the way the current ones do, but not at all. I fell in love with that one right away. Funny enough, James, you you asked me um, if I remembered the first time I saw Thunderball. Uh, I do remember the first time I saw Her Majesty's Secret Service, and it, it was just because my my, my parents uh, told me that, uh, that a Bond film was on that night, but it was no good. <laughs> <laughs> that's the it's the old seventies and eighties public. Yeah, that's right. Well, I can Public tell you the first time film. I saw it, and that was first run in the theater. My mother took me. Um, uh, my father chose not to go. I knew he had read the, some of the books, and, of course, I was devastated when Tracy got killed at the end, having not read the book. And so when we got home, my dad said, oh, how'd it go? And I said about the ending, said, yeah, I, I, he was kind of like not, you know, he was yeah. knowing, he had this knowing look on his face. Well, yeah, well, that's how it goes. Oh, so, oh, so you didn't spoil it for him because he'd already read the book. Yeah, he'd already read the book. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think my my first um, interaction with Majesties, I think I must have been like nine or ten years old at a car boot sale, which I think in the States they call them swap meets, I think, one weekend. And um there was a bunch of James Bond paperbacks on somebody's table. And I didn't even know there were Bond books at that point being that young. And I remember just picking up the cover of Majesties because it was that fantastic um, white cover, uh, the paperback in the UK, flipping like three quarters of the way through and just reading the bobsled chapter and being intrigued, but also weirded out that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the James Bond on TV the same way as a kid. Um, and it'd be years later before I actually went around to reading the book proper, but that was my first brush with that one. So is there anything, I mean, you mentioned that the plot, the way they wove the two threads together was better in the film, but is there anything from the novel that you were just like, Oh, I wish they'd have just slipped that in or they missed that beat. Uh, I can't really think of anything actually. Not off the top of my head, anyway. Because, yeah. I mean, Peter Hunt basically walked around for two years with that paperback in his pocket, mm. um, constantly referring to it. So, Right, and, and also earlier drafts before he became the director of it, um, um, you know, were, were uh, deviated considerably from the book, including an Ast- uh, underwater Aston Martin. And I think it was, you know, Peter Hunt was the guy who, got the thing you know he really wanted to make a a faithful adaptation and some of the earlier drafts i mean i i as i understand it tracy did die in every draft they they never thought about uh you know not killing her off but some but the tone was much different uh again with an underwater aston martin how could it not be different but uh yeah i I think with peter hunt i think he's the main difference he's the x factor can you remember bill how that underwater aston martin was used like what what, under what context did that happen 
I would have to look it up because I'm like, because what I was reading, you know, is this book and it's kind of a summary of the draft. So it kind of like breaks it, you know, it's like this big table and breaks it down by elements. And so it's right. like, it just identified the draft. May, it might, it, don't quote, as I say, don't quote me on this. It might've been. So we're already I, recording it, Bill. We I know, I know. It, it might've been, <laughs> that might've been how he he rescued tracy maybe i i'm I'm not 100 percent sure on that but i think it was used at the start in other words instead of him stopping his car and running after her he might have drove it into the sea to get her or something like that right which would have been would have ruined the mood (laughs) i think but all right so majesties is on the board from joe which means uh next up bill uh, well, it'll be easy for me. I will put From Russia With Love. It is my favorite James Bond movie, um, although there are rivals for that. but um, And it's also part of it is because I also think it's the best novel, although Majesties is really close in that regard as well. Um, and the first time I saw it was at a double feature might have been around 1971 or so it was a dr no from russia with love double feature and it was not soon after that that i first bought the books there was a paperback they came out with four um, a new issue of four paperbacks it was casino royale from russia with love dr no and colonel sun and so that was the first time i had a chance to read them and that's the first chance i really had to kind of experience the sort of special world that Fleming created in the novels, um, so I've you know I have a lot of good feelings toward that movie. Yeah, they made some changes, you know, by having it become a Spectre plot instead of a Soviet plot. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's very strong. How do you feel about the changes that they had to obviously make to update it and to take the politics out of it? Um, I, it didn't bother me that much. Um, you know, of course, by that time, I've got, I was kind of used to Spectre being out there. So, um, you know, it, it was okay by me. Um, reading the novel, in the novel, Red Grant is even worse than he is in the, in the movie in terms of what kind of a human being he is. And I guess they, uh, he had that, what, monthly bloodlust, you know, when it was a full moon, he felt the need to go kill somebody. <laughs> um, I guess I'm, it could be that Maybaum and company kind of felt, ah, that might be a little extreme. We'll just kind of not use that part. But uh, um, but no, I t- I, I, they did as good a translation of the effect, you know, because in the book, you know, you go 10 chapters with no James Bond. and mm. But, you know, those chapters go by really fast. And... It's it's not quite that extensive in the movie, but you you still have that sort of sense of momentum that James Bond's got some some trouble ahead. Anybody like to add on to Russia? Um, I, it's one of my favorites too. Uh, the, the the thing about the the book though, I I find those first ten chapters are, go on a bit too long for me. Um, I, I'd like to get into the action a bit faster in the book. I, I had a similar experience when I was much younger trying to read that book. I remember, uh, you know, when you're young and I was, you know, books were kind of a slog for me. You know, I'd rather much, ra- much rather watch a movie. But um, I don't know. If, I don't know. I don't not even sure if I ever got through it when I was younger. But then when, once I got older and I revisited, I kind of agree with you, Bill, that it, it does go a little f- much faster. What yeah. do you feel, Bill, about the um, 
the Hitchcockian elements and the North by Northwest influences on the film version? You know, since I saw the movie first, I kind of like that's kind of baked in and it's like, oh, that's not in there. Um, so and and then, of course, when I read the book, like she kicked him. What way? Um <laughs> Because I actually was reading them out of order. I was reading them in the movie order. I didn't realize mm. they, had, they had swapped swapped <laughs> the order of, uh, of the books when they did the movies. Um, but then I quickly adjusted. Oh, okay. That's what they did. But um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, it, I don't want to say it's blatant, but uh, yeah, I, I see why they did it. They wanted to get some, you know, um, outdoor sequences. I think with the... Um, and the thing with the boats when Bond fires the flare gun, uh, I've never seen it, but my understanding is Maybaum had a similar bit of business in one of the Warwick films, one of the Warwick war movies, um, where some character did something like that. So, you know, Maybaum kind of reused it for uh, from Russia with Love. I'll be honest with you, Bill. I've never really liked that boat ending to the film. I think it's pretty slow and um, unnecessary. Yeah. You know, well, there's this, there's this one shot I do find amusing in the sense that uh, Walter Gotell is the right. you know, the lead bad guy. And he's like, <laughs> look at his binoculars at this um, uh, fuel container he's going by. It's like, he needs to look at his binoculars or something that close. It looks an odd, kind of an odd thing. And um, Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I can understand that. It's, you know, because in the book, he stayed on the train much longer. He stayed on the train till the end of the, you know, the end of the run, you know, whereupon in the movie, you know, he gets off middle of the run uh, so they could work in the outdoor sequences. All right, so Rush is on the board for Bill. Uh, for my choice, I was going to kind of bend the rules slightly and nominate For Your Eyes Only as being a great use of Fleming content because they pluck it from a few different places to make that film. I but, thought you might pick that because you were talking about that the other day. Yeah, just in terms of like they pillaged all the scraps basically and mm-hmm. did a very good job of putting a story together, wrapping around those elements. Um you know, even the keel holding from Live and Let Die, right? Yeah, um, they yeah, managed yeah. to make it all work. They managed to yeah. make it all work. But um, if I had to choose, and I'd, I'd, I really wanted just to be the guy that put a Roger on the list of Fleming Faithful movies. <laughs> um, but I'm going to go with Dr. No, um, just because I, I would watch Dr. No ahead of Furos only, if given the choice. Or, or somebody held a gun to my head. So the other thing is Dr. No, it was like, it was my entry into Bond, just coincidentally. It was the first movie, and I saw the end of it as a kid that made me interested in it. Um, but I think how they made that film with the budget they had and a brand-new crew – well, it wasn't brand-new because obviously Warwick Films, there's a lot of Broccoli's um, our former colleagues pulled in. But the way that they managed to get that to screen on the modest budget they did – and at the time that they did it, I don't think – well, you couldn't do it today, obviously, for that money, even inflation adjusted. But um, it was groundbreaking in the sense that nobody – I don't think anybody else would have had the nerve or um, just the confidence to be able to pull that film off with the resources they had. 
it was also a, a I don't want to say troubled production, but they had a lot of problems that never I never saw get. Uh, I didn't see a lot of people write about. Like from Russia with Love is known for its problems. Uh, you know, the helicopter crash there. Terrence Young was almost killed, and uh, Pedro Armendariz being terminally ill, and all that. Um, most people don't talk about Doctor No. And it wasn't until I uh, saw that book, A Bond for Bond, where it you know documents some of the. I mean, I mentioned this before. They were you know they they fell behind a half day schedule on the first day because Jack right. Lord was late, um, and there were like problems with the weather and yeah and other things that just you know never got a whole lot of attention. But yeah, so they had a lot to overcome. As, you know, in in addition to you know a small budget and all that. You know, not to mention the swamp and some other sequences, which were just nightmarish to film. Right. Um, I think the other thing is Kane had a leech on him or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, and the mosquitoes, and it was just yeah. uh, apparently stunk to high heaven. Um, but the other thing is, I think they did a good job of taking the best of the book. And Doctor No is one of the novels that's a little bit more out there um, in terms of you know realism, um, and to to take the fight with the giant squid out and to take the guano ending out, I think were smart moves. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the squid fight was probably budgetary. I imagine they were like, there's no way we can do this on film. Right. Um, the guano fight would have been cheaper than building a nuclear reactor set. <laughs> so that was a storytelling choice, right? That they wanted to change. Um, I, I would have loved to have seen it, you know, and I'm surprised that with all the with all the time the times they've tried to recycle stuff of the video game series and stuff, I'm surprised nobody's tried it yet. Where they've they've buried a villain in bird crap. But um, <laughs> I'd love to have seen it. But um, I think they were two smart choices. Um, there, there must be loads yeah. of opportunities for punning there as well. Right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so um, so I, yeah, I'd go with Doctor No just because they they I, they struck gold out of the gate. Um, there's you know there's some there's some things that aren't related to adapting Fleming, which are issues such as, you know, the background score by our friend Monty. But um, other than that, I wouldn't really change anything about it in terms I've of I've come around to that school. I'd, I've changed my opinion of it. Yeah? No. Well, I thought... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's terrible. Uh, <laughs> or, 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 or the, the Monty Norman stuff's terrible. I mean, uh, the, the original songs are... are are good, but the the Monty Norman stuff I don't like. Well, and as I mentioned in a previous installment, uh, I could have done without the fetch my shoes, which I don't think's in the book. I think that's something the filmmakers added. And kind of, I mean, I saw it. I would have been let's see, I would have been about thirteen, and so granted, it was like nine years after the movie came out. But I'm just, I don't think that was a good look in '62 even. And I, I when I saw it in '71, it's like, ugh, I did that's quickly moved on and they didn't linger on it so which was good so i i was able to quickly <laughs> get past it but yeah it's uh just don't like that one joe any thoughts on fleming's material in dr no uh just that it's another one that i i've always uh admired for being very close to the book in fact one of my favorite um the, it was so close to the book that they actually reference uh from russia with love in the beginning of dr no which i always thought was Kind of clever. Mm. Yes. When he says your gun jammed on you and you spent uh, right. time in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah, right. that's right. 
Yeah, and actually, Doctor No has some of the the trade craft from the the books, um, such as the you know he plucks a hair from his head and puts it over the mm. wardrobe, and I think he does he ta- put talc on his uh, attaché yeah. case or something. Yeah, um, yes, that's, he does. Yeah, that's pure Fleming. Yeah. yeah. And and given Connery was already thinning in the hair, that was quite a sacrifice by the actor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, could, could, could have took one from his chest. There's more to go around there. Um, <laughs> all right so uh we've got on the board for fleming faithfuls we've got thunderball majesties from russia with love and dr no i don't think there's too many surprises there um as far as um the classics all right so we're going to shift tack now and go to favorite original adventures um that have very little fleming uh, material and first up is going to be let me open the envelope. Joe. Uh, wow. Favorite that have nothing to do with Fleming. Um, maybe I'll say Skyfall. Maybe that's a safe bet. And I, I know there's like maybe like a wink to Fleming in there. Uh, so it's not totally. Uh, but um, yeah, I'd say as far as the ones that are just so, you know, purely made up. Uh, I know all the... Pretty much all of the Brosnans would fall into that category, um, and it, there's a few of those I like a lot. Uh, but yeah, maybe I'll give it to Skyfall. Yeah, it's it's fair to say that Bond never ran off to Scotland with M in any of the books. So you say. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and and one of the things from Fleming, it's like on the screen for like a few seconds, is uh, the obituary that M is writing about Bond, where it's it's taken from. Uh, the, that chapter in You Only Live Twice, and she just types Turkey instead of Japan. Mm, uh, right. But that's like on, that's not like I say, it's only on screen for a second or two. And and like probably a fraction of the audience is even aware of, of where they got that from. And, you know, it's, that's not much. <laughs> yeah. I, the, I, the, the, the one I was thinking of was the mention of Bond's parents on the gravestones. Right. Which I think yeah. only, a, only a diehard fan would uh, would notice. Yes. No, I, uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a sliver of of Fleming in there, but nothing else. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, you mentioned you know M running off to M, but is is there anything in that film if if it was contemporary with Fleming that Fleming would never have put in a novel? Do you believe is there something in there that he would he wouldn't have done? I think him running off the skull with him. <laughs> I, I can't. I, I can't imagine Fleming ever doing that because I think. Um, I mean, it, one of the anomalies. I think we were talking last time about how I've always sort of thought the Craig era was kind of strange, in the, in terms of the fact that he never ran off with the girl. Uh, I think putting M in that film as essentially the Bond girl, mm. uh, I think is kind of wildly non-Fleming. I, I don't think I don't think Fleming would have ever gotten that one. Yeah, one of the things that I think stuck out for a lot of people, I remember joking to, uh, we, you know, we did the press screening before the premiere, and I remember talking to a couple of people before they go in, the premiere saying, you know, watch out for the CGI dinosaurs. 
They're like, hey, James, you're so funny. You're full of shit. Yeah, um, I remember Vip, Vip said that to me yeah. before we saw the premiere. Yeah. <laughs> that was a joke. And oh, there they are. Oh, shit, those guys. <laughs> you, know um, what, you know what that reminded me of? Is like I was wondering if someone on the crew had seen Johnny Quest cartoons from the 60s because that's that's even in the titles where these like these big monsters – <laughs> they've got these uh-huh. you know tongues coming in and out um i thought that is very similar to johnny quest that's i i don't i have no idea if they actually got the idea from that or not but oh. but i think a chinese casino where the owner has a pet komodo dragon would fit right in in a fleming novel yeah because he loves his exotic animals doesn't mm. he um yeah yeah i agree, I I agree think- with that I think that was one of Purvis and Wade's better touches, I think, was doing doing something that Fleming might have done himself. I think that's up there. And strangely, it, it did stand out a little bit weird for cinema goers, that sequence, as a bit maybe a bit out of reality, but I liked it. I, I, I'm not a fan of Skyfall, but I, I do like that, that sequence, actually, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, and I think it's also very clear that uh, the makers of the Black Panther were influenced by that because they had a casino sequence, you know, that uh, evokes that. It's not a, it's not mm. a direct swipe, but it's it's awful similar. Mm. Mm. And obviously, the title. I mean, of the, of the original titles, I think it is the uh, one that is a little Flemingy, yeah. more than the the Brosnan era for sure. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would say my favorite non-Fleming title has always been "Die Another Day." I kind of felt that that one, you know, again, as far as far as titles go, I kind of felt like that was the most Fleming esque. I wish the film stacked up, but uh, title. <laughs> Do you think that title would have got mocked less had it been one of the earlier non-Fleming titles rather than the later ones where it looked like a rehash of a rehash? Hard to say. <laughs> like if it had popped, if it had popped out and kind of in, instead of "License to Kill," right? Like back then. Die Another Day, I think, would have maybe had a bit more punch to it than following later when it became a bit of a pastiche. Very know. possibly, yeah. I, I've always, yeah, License to Kill always sort of sat funny with me. I kind of feel like as a title, yeah, it's it it kind of falls in line with uh, using Spectre as a title. I feel like, you know, it, that's that's an element of James Bond. I don't know if I would make a title out of it because it's almost like a lack of a title, really. Yeah, no, that's exactly the what I, along the lines I was thinking, Joe. Uh, it, it's like uh, they just couldn't be bothered to actually think of a real title for it. And it's like I know. Let's let's not do that. Let's just call it Spectre. Oh, uh, right, right, yeah. Or shaken, not stirred. Yeah. Oh. Bingo. Yes. Something else, right? Just pluck it from the memes. Yeah. <laughs> well, shake and not stir, yeah, because you couldn't make a title with the Vesper uh, recipe because that would be too long a title. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like the sequel's called, but it's not a vermouth. <laughs> 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 All right, we have Skyfall on the board for Joe. Next up, Bill, you get to go second. Well, I'm going to call this original, even though it has a Fleming title, and that's the Spy Who Loved Me. You know, yes, it had it took that title, but it didn't take much else. Jaws is kind of sort of based on horror, the henchman, but not really. I mean, not that close. Um, it's an enjoyable movie, and it's historically a very important movie because it helped revive. Re-energized the series at a key time. It was the first movie made after the split up between Broccoli and Saltzman 
you know, there was a lot riding on it. And again, it's, it's, it is pretty enjoyable. Yes, it is awful similar to you only live twice, but, um, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll stand on that. You mentioned it's similar to you only live twice. You could make the argument that you only live twice is pretty bereft of Fleming material too. Oh yeah. Yeah. I guess I just like it a little bit more than you only live twice. Um, right. Better executed as a film. Yeah, uh, leading man was a little more into it than the, than uh, Connery <laughs> was in *The Only of Twice*. Not that Connery's horrible or anything like that, but I, I think his you know I, you do kind of get the sense he's like, "What? Want to get this over with? <laughs> we get this done." So, ask you the same question that we we talked about *Skyfall*. Is there are there elements of *The Spy Who Loved Me* that you think would that Fleming might have come up with had it been content, contemporary? You know, what, uh, I would go to Christopher Wood's novelization, which mm-hmm. is quite amazing because he takes what is at core, you know, this original story, puts in all these kind of Fleming touches and that there are some sequences that are not in the movie, like Bond getting tortured. Um, but like, it was funny where... <laughs> So like in the movie where Bond goes to Atlantis and he's talking to Stromberg and Stromberg's testing his knowledge uh, and asking him what kind of fish that is. So like in the novelization, Bond's internal dialogue, he's kind of sweating it. And then like he somehow pulls it, <laughs> pulls it out of the deepest re- uh, recesses of his mind, what the fish is. Um yeah, it's it's kind of interesting to anyone who's ever who hasn't read it should probably read that novelization because it's hard to believe that it's from the same guy who wrote the screen or was involved in writing the screenplay. Yeah, I I, I used to own both that and the Moonraker novelization. I, I gave them away years ago for for some reason, and uh, I'd, I'd like to I'd like to revisit both of those. Uh, because I I do remember that they were pretty good and uh, but one of the one of the things in the novelization is that he is Sigmund right. uh, Stromberg, yes. which made me wonder was was that like in an early draft and it got carried over to the novelization? Um, I I I read a, I read an interview with Christopher Wood and he said that he'd forgotten that he'd been given a a, a Christian name in the in the, in the film and so <laughs> he. Yeah, 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 and and so he he gave him one in the novelization, mm-hmm. and a also, different one, <laughs> and also would a different a different would one. Yeah. Give Jaws a backstory and about yes. you know how there'd been this operation. Jaws couldn't speak because of that operation. So had, yeah, that's had, right. Having yeah. read that novelization, then I was very disappointed in uh, in Moonraker where Jaws does speak. Like, wait a minute, don't you guys remember your own novelization? Um, but. Uh, He'd had he'd had some kind of therapy in between the films, <laughs> some lozenges. I'm all better now. <laughs> maybe it was the Seven Up. <laughs> well, he got plenty of it as part of uh, as part of the product placement deal. Huh? And Jaws, here's a case of Seven Up, and a carton of, and a carton of Marlboros. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so Bill, uh, Bill, are you, you going to do uh, a, an impersonation of George? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, here's to us. <laughs> well, you know, and it's funny because Richard Keel had the same shtick in the Wild Wild West. He was in the first 
three Dr. Loveless episodes. So like, you know, Dr. Loveless was this um, very short mad scientist and Richard Keel played Voltaire, his henchman. And so like in the first two episodes, he can't speak. He kind of grunts some. And then suddenly in the third third episode, he can speak. He is just kind of knocked out uh, the hero, James West. And I, I can speak now. Like, <laughs> why are you telling me this? But okay. <laughs> I think the element of Fleming in Spy Love Me is perhaps that the villain has an obsession about marine biology. Cause, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good point. Actually, I hadn't yeah. thought of that. Because yeah. I would say that's something that Fleming might have come up with, um, given that he might he liked to put his own interests into Bond and the villains. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, a crazed marine biologist might be right up his street. Well, yeah, specifically. I mean, going back to this the short story, the Hildebrand rarity, with that, how they were like poisoning the water to get this fish. I mean, it's pretty clear that that you know that's a good point but that would have been that could have been a hook to the villain right in the story where um maybe he took out the guys that were doing that because he wanted to protect the sea life or something yeah and he saw them doing it so he had them he had them blown up or something you know assassinated or something because he couldn't stand to see what they were doing yeah. but maybe that would have made you too uh oh, what's the phrase sympathetic to the villain <laughs> Right, but um, that was a good opportunity. They could have used the Hildenbrand rarity in the yeah. story in the movie, which you know now is a bookshop. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's where I buy all my Ian Fleming first editions these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got a sale; you can get them for a, for a pound a book. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> With discount code, code B U L L. S H I T. The shipping is horribly expensive, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's it's a, uh, four and a half thousand pounds per item. It's, it's, it's a handcrafted cardboard box that it comes with. Double O seven logo. <laughs> All right, uh, so we've got the spy love me's on the board from Bill. So that David. Ah, yes. Uh, me. Um, well, I'm kind of torn. I, I guess there's there's one that everybody's going to uh, expect me to go for, um, but I'm not sure whether to go for that or something else. And the two uh, would be uh, The Man with the Golden Gun, which yep. you all know, and the other one would be Quantum of Solace, because... Uh, uh, hmm. Yeah, I, 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 really, I, I really love that film now, um, after not... Uh, appreciating it on its first release but oh what okay childhood or adulthood it's tough choice i I'll, I'll, I'll go with the man with the golden gun because I'll, I'll just be boring i think and uh uh well the, apart from uh the villain having a golden gun uh, i can't <laughs> think of anything in it oh and, and merry goodnight I, I can't think of anything uh in that film that is remotely F uh, fleming-esque um mm -hmm. the gun is very very different despite being gold in the in, in the book it's i think it's a is it colt 45 yeah, yeah, it's it's, pistol, it's, yeah. it's like the original book one has like a cameo when Bond arrives at Scaramanga's Island and knickknacks bring out the champagne and the gun Scaramanga uses to shoot the bottle of champagne is, you know, 
a Colt 45 or whatever, it looks like the gun. It, it at least evokes the gun of the novel as opposed to the fancy uh, gun that was assembled from seemingly innocent objects. Uh, you could call that a cameo. I, yeah. But you're right. Yeah. yeah. Perhaps. Um, it has um, a very non Fleming uh, henchman in Knickknack. Um, right. And uh, although I, I, I was listening, I was listening to your conversation on uh, the other day. You're talking about the man with the golden gun and yeah. Knickknack. And with Edward. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, that's right. And um, while while I was listening to that, I, I was thinking, in fact, okay, uh, this is new theory about the man with the golden gun. The villain actually is Knickknack, and Scaramanga is the henchman. <laughs> it doesn't make well, it any better does it no but uh well but there is kind of a it's kind of implied they have a weird relationship because knickknack keeps bringing in all these guys to kill him and he actually tells bond one day i'll this be mine um like okay maybe some of it's an act but maybe some of it isn't maybe he really is trying to knock off scarabaga yeah, yeah. So he, he he's he's an up and coming Bond villain. Yeah, up and coming. Very good. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but what would Nick Knack do with an assassin's funhouse when Scaramanga's dead? Oh, he uh, turned it into was, was he going to convert it into condos or something? I mean, was, uh, <laughs> it, it would become his man cave. It's over, oversized. <laughs> he's watching soccer all day. Well, um, presumably he would actually turn it. It, no, he he would keep it. He would keep it because then he'd he'd build a hotel on the island for all the tourism that James Bond Island attracts these days. <laughs> <laughs> and with the aim of selling out to Disney, I will say about the man with gold gun, it does have one of the best lines of the entire series in the uh, scene right after the titles and Bond says, "Who would pay to have me killed?" Right, outraged chefs, humiliated tailors. The list is mm. endless. <laughs> Jealous husbands too. Yeah, that was <laughs> probably the only other thing that was taken from the book. Yeah, about the right. jealous husbands part. Of that line. Also, the strangest first line of a James Bond film, which is "Knickknack Tabasco." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> strange. I did notice, David. I don't know if you cover this in your drinks of James Bond book, um, but mm-hmm. um, at the start, you see Scaramanga having a bottle of Guinness and a bottle of champagne, and. It's is he having black velvets? It's not made. Uh, but I'm assuming yeah, that's, I, I'm assuming that's what he's doing. And I used to love black velvet. Well, we used to make them a cider instead of champagne. But yeah, yeah, it's a great drink. Mm-hmm. Poor man's black velvet. Poor man's black velvet. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things um, to say connections to Fleming. I'd say was High Fats Estate kind of influenced by the Garden of Death a little bit? Maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But. Possibly, yeah. Because uh, the, the Garden of Death, um, I mean, it, I, I'd say that the the Garden of Death probably influenced the Piranha Pool in in um, When You Live Twice. Uh, right. But you know, that's as far as it went. But yeah, I, 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 I guess I guess that's that's something I hadn't thought of. I mean, I'm and, I'm reaching here. Yeah. You know, I I, I don't know if it's Fleming, but you know that movie also had a thing about people posing as statues. Uh, and then suddenly moving because, you know, Knickknack posed as a statue, those two big right. uh, sumo wrestlers posed as statues, and finally in the end, Bond poses as a statue when he finally dispatches uh, Scaramanga. 
that's an obscure pairing with um, the living daylights. <laughs> Films where people pose as statues. <laughs> there you go. Oh, we could make that a double feature. Uh, <laughs> a statue double feature. <laughs> First up, the man with the golden gun. Second, the living daylights. We, we should do a whole episode on that. I'm sure somebody else will find another one. I can't think of anything that pops to mind. But uh, um, the other thing I'd say is, in terms of Fleming, kind of themes i think really it's the locations of that film mm. right um they they to me evoke fleming more than anything else in that film it's just the location work what, what, like like montenegro you mean no oh, no i mean asia in the man with the god uh, oh, okay the well, use, I, I thought sorry i thought you were talking about yeah. generally yeah yeah all right, no, yeah. just in that film. And that's the feeling, the travelogue of it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, probably from that point of view, it, it does resemble more You Only Live Twice, I, I guess. Uh, although that's to mix up uh, a few Asian countries. But, uh, right. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd never thought of it that way. It, it's... it's oh, I... I I, I said it before. I mean, a, a lot of a lot of these things. I uh, I, I can't argue these um, logically. It's it just goes back to the the connection I have uh, with them from from my childhood. So uh, you know, I, I, I've no I've got no idea really why I, I love the man with the golden gun so much. Apart from that, it, it was the first film that I, I saw, and right. it made a big am- impact on me. So uh, you know, uh, if it hadn't if I hadn't seen the man with the golden gun. Maybe I wouldn't be here now talking. I'd be doing a, a star, doing a Star Wars uh, podcast or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so we've got the man with the golden gun on the board for David, bringing down our IMDb average in in this category. Oh this. yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Yeah. <laughs> actually, it's, we talked about this before. It's actually gone up in recent years. Um, there's probably a whole generation of people listening to this screaming into their podcast device to say Goldeneye. Um, I was actually going to go with License to Kill, but Edward a couple of weeks ago pointed out that it's actually a very loose reworking of the Man with the Golden Gun novel, and he had some excellent points. So yeah, 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 yeah. I, I thought he made some very interesting. So I now points, see yeah. that as an adaptation of the Man with the Golden Gun, the novel. Um, so I'm going to have to go with Goldeneye. Um, so the Goldeneye is, is a, a reworking of the Golden Gun novel? License to Kill. Lic- oh, excuse me, License to so, Kill, yes. That, yeah, I, that was, that was a great words, point, yes. Sanchez has somewhat interesting sexual orientation, uh, similar to Scaramanga. It's kind of, at least I've, you know, that's a theory I've seen presented. Yeah. Um, yeah. Could, There's a lot of echoes of the book and the yeah. film when she starts peeling away um it's not obvious um i had never thought about it before until edward raised it in a previous episode and was, you know it's one of those should have had a v8 moments <laughs> right it's, it's, once you hear it it's like oh, yes it makes sense um so for my pick i'm gonna go with goldeneye um it's it's one of the obvious ones i think um in terms of impo- in terms of importance in the franchise, oh, it's um, very important. It's 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 up there um, uh, to keep us going. Um, and they really had little to work with at the time um, from Fleming. Um, but I think on a top could be straight out of a Fleming novel. Um, 
just with her persona and also how she kills people um and the fact that she derives pleasure from it in the way that she does i think that's she, she could totally be a fleming villain um the plot itself the way that it's twisted that it's it's a personal revenge story and it's against britain is echo of moonraker a little bit uh the novel um but i won't hold that against it and um so i absolutely love it to bits and it, it brought a whole new generation of bond fans to the franchise that film um people who are 37 and below probably um until Craig came along, that was their first entry into the cinema. So I think it's a very important totemic film in the franchise um, for the future of it. And I think they did a really good job of hitting a lot of the touchstones of the series um, without overdoing them too much. You know? Well, and again, in terms of the importance to the franchise history, I mean, I mean, I remember that 89 to 95 hiatus very well because at one point, um Dan Jack Eon put put itself up for sale and that's not from a British tabloid that was in the Wall Street Journal that's where I read it yeah. and uh you know for whatever reason they you know took it took it back off the market but uh um you know that the whole you know we didn't even get into this oh several episodes ago when we talked about all the business stuff with MGM but that period was I mean, there have been so many. Where do you start? But that, you know, MGM was essentially acquired by a guy who you might call a crook. And uh, you might call a crook. I, I think I think he ended up in prison if I if if I'm remembering correctly. Uh and and the studio ended up being owned by a French bank. Um and the budget was not that uh, big for GoldenEye. They, it was a relatively tight budget for that time. And um, yeah, I mean, there was a lot riding on it. Uh, you know, it went through a lot of different iterations on the script. Um, started with Michael France. Um, a guy named Kevin Wade came along in there. He created the character of uh, yeah of Wade, naming it after himself. Yeah, well, I himself. mean, wouldn't we all name a character after ourselves if yeah. we pen the screenplay? Had the opportunity, and uh, he didn't get a credit on the movie, but you know that's that was one of the things he brought. And then uh, Bruce Fairstein was kind of, I guess, was like the last writer in, and um. You know the the credits a little unwieldy. Uh, some people think that Michael France probably should have should have been in, gotten more than just a story by credit. But yeah, but uh, in any event, yeah, it was it, again. It was not a smooth production by any means. And and, and again, also there was all this uh, speculation about who was going to play Bond. And um, I remember the Wall Street Journal again had a big story. I think it was like the day before they announced, you know, the announcement about Brosnan's casting. And it was talking about, oh, you know, it was, it was not certain at all that Brosnan would get the role. And, um, I mean, I would have to go back 25 years to see that story again, to remember the particulars, but, um, yeah, no, it was, again, it was similar to The Spy Who Loved Me. The pressure was on and, and they came through with a movie that, was very popular and you know stabilized things yeah i mean the um the original pre-title sequence written by michael france was very different with um bond driving his car up the nose of the Eurostar and onto the roof um 
which I, how they would have done that, I don't know. Uh, but um, it, it was a pretty interesting pre-title sequence. It was more akin to an EA video game that would right. follow later. Yeah. Um, Talking about the you know. pre-title sequence, I seem to remember there's somebody on this podcast who's done the bungee jump. <laughs> ask, me, ask me what I'm doing tomorrow, by the way. <laughs> what are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> Uh, my my for my fiftieth birthday, which is next week, my girlfriend is taking me skydiving this weekend. Wow! Okay. <laughs> oh, well, good luck with so that. My, my yeah, my uh, my adrenaline junkiness is uh, getting satisfied this weekend. But yes, yes, did did the bungee jump too, and it was pretty extraordinary. Because if if I remember the story correctly, you 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 tried to do it once, but um, it was closed, or you didn't make it because it was f- farther than you thought, or something. Is that right? Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was a very half baked experience where i uh, i was in I was in uh, Geneva for business, and I had a free day and decided, well, I'll go I'll go out and do the bungee jump, um, which a lot of my colleagues reminded me that's that's like saying I. I landed in New York for for work and decided to take it right up to Cape Cod for uh, for. for <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I I drove out literal literally driving across the Alps uh, with my back then my my printout from um, MapQuest telling me this should be a four hour drive and really it was like a seven plus hour drive. Oh, God. So by the time <laughs> I got there, yeah, like a white knuckle drive through the mountains. And by the time I got there it was, they had already shut down and left. So oh, wow. I just had no, no choice, but to turn around and drive back and get <laughs> oh, back man. in the middle of the night and uh, rip, rip the, uh, the side mirrors off the rental car in the process. That was a lot oh, of fun. Man. <laughs> so anybody, anybody who's listening, who thinks they're a James Bond fan, this is a Bond fan. This is a Bond fan. <laughs> no. No there you go. My fandom was definitely put to the test on that trip. <laughs> See, I, so I, tomorrow, tomorrow, Joe, are you going to do the Roger where you kind of like you do your sleek, slimline skydive when you put your hands on your butt cheeks as you go down? Or are you going to do the Jaws flap like a chicken? <laughs> oh, I, I, Bill, I, Bill you, you should go along and do your Jaws impression. <laughs> <laughs> I, I technically think I really can't even call this a James Bond jump unless somebody actually pushes me out without the parachute, and, and, wherein I have to get get one on the way down. Yeah, that, that, that's that's probably going a bit too far for thrills, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> for your safe for your safety, Joe, we won't give your girlfriend an ear disc because we'll release this after you've done it. There you go. <laughs> Oh, yes. You, we just, you just want it. to see some like guy in a big mustache um, behind you in the line. You got to be very worried. There you go. Yeah, and happy birthday for next week as well. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Fifty's not as scary as it sounds. Uh, I hope. Yeah. I hope. Not when you're as old as I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm putting Goldeneye on the board. So let's recap. So uh, for Fleming, we've got Thunderball, Majesties, Russia, and Doctor No. And for Originals, we have Skyfall, Spy Love Me, Golden Gun. Thanks, David. And <laughs> Golden Eye. Um, how do you think those two box sets would do? Hmm. <laughs> well, uh, box sets. 
You'd have to throw in a T-shirt, I think. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the second one does have have kind of a hodgepodgey sort of feel to it, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. What was your alternative, David? If it wasn't the Golden Gun, which were you going to go for? Quantum. Quantum. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and if I'd have put like if I'd have put um, Fiori's only said adopt to know, that would have took the edge off the first one, wouldn't it? A little bit. Actually, actually, can I bring up a, a gripe I have with Quantum, specifically related yeah. to the title? I, I, you know, I, I like Quantum for what it is, but I, <clears throat> I've sort of come to really sort of resent the, the use of the title, uh, specifically because I felt that for one thing. I was kind of excited to, you know, that they were going to use a Fleming title for that film. And when I actually saw what they did, I was, I, I was kind of annoyed because I felt like, you know, I, the, the short story is of course like the, and a very, it's an oddity in the Fleming, um, I can, you know, in the Fleming collection, uh, it's not even about James Bond per se. It's about the, uh, the telling of a couple, who uh, you know would fight and, and and argue and and essentially were they were just so they were and they antagonized each other so badly that uh, the use of the title is, is was simply saying that if they could just find a measure of peace between them a quantum of yeah. solace and I remember thinking when I saw the film well isn't that sort of about where James Bond is here where again not not quite the same but he's looking for a measure of peace. He's trying to come to terms with whether or not Vesper really betrayed him, how he should feel about this. So I thought, boy, what a wasted opportunity, you know, that they didn't try to incorporate that in some way where maybe Mathis would sort of sit him down and say, you know, you need a little quantum of solace. You need a, you need a measure of peace to, right. to get through this. Uh, so they, not only did they kind of not do that, but the fact that they used quantum as the name of the organization Boy, did that bother me. And I kind of felt like, you know, in terms of the fact, well, now you've really sort of rejected the title by sort of giving it a different purpose. Right. But yeah, not only it, that, it, 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 but to take sorry, it one step further, not to take it one step further, you sort of messed that whole Spectre storyline because you, you had the shadowy organization show up in Casino, continue through Quantum, and you could have come back to it in Spectre and, and kind of tied these sort of pieces together and say, well, this was the organization all along, et cetera. Right. And it wouldn't have felt except, like they were rebranding it. Right. Yes, and, right. Except that yeah. they had, had mangled it by calling it <laughs> quantum. Under new management. I was just going to say to add to that, I was just going to say to add to that, okay, so when Casino Royale came out, I thought, okay, shadowy organization, this is Spectre. Now, whether whether they can call it that because of rights issues, you know, but it's like, doesn't matter. And I saw it as a way to kind of like they could eventually if the right situation ever you know sorted itself out they could eventually have a reveal and it turns out the guy is blofeld but you do it like in the early movies where you know if he if he does show up initially he's you know this you know right behind the scenes presence but then we get to quantum of solace and suddenly they have to call it quantum so they can use the title and right. suddenly they've got you know those q um <laughs> q pins <laughs> 
when they're right. going to their meeting. And, the, and, and also, it didn't help in the publicity backup. Both uh, Wilson and Broccoli started talking about, oh, yes, Quantum is a much better organization than, than Spectre. Spectre is dated, but this is right. modern and new. And, and then, of course, once you know, the right situation does get sorted turns out, out. Turns yeah. out they're a wholly owned subsidiary. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did laugh at the coupons, but I, it's almost like it should have had a, the operator. It should have said, my name is Mr. White. <laughs> Stick, sticker on his shirt. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what, what I was going to say was that actually the title doesn't make any sense because uh, there's not a lot of solace that comes out of the organization uh, Quantum, is there? No. It, it, no. it, it right. doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. So the story we were told, and, you know, like a lot of Bond mythos, it's, you know, take it or leave it, um, was... Early on in the production, uh, you know, just as they were starting shooting and before they did the press conference, they still were deciding on the title. And apparently they had the, the titles they were considering put up on big, you know, like um, cue cards. And Craig sat there in the office and decided on Quantum out of the options. Well, and he said something to that effect publicly. He said, he said in some interview that it was his idea. And he said, if you look at the Fleming titles, they don't mean anything. And I read that. I thought, wait a minute. Dr. No means right. something. Goldfinger means something. Right. <laughs> you know, the titles are pretty much explained in all the books. What are you talking about? Um, whatever. <laughs> I remember hearing too that uh, that was one of the titles that didn't need to like when if you watch that in another country that the title was never translated, right. and I kind of realized well yeah I guess it wouldn't be because now quantum right. is a proper noun it's not a it's 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 not using the term as it was intended. It's almost like the artist formerly known as Prince. It's just like this symbol. Yeah, um, yeah. Right. doesn't matter now, does uh, it? They should have just called it, it quantum or Q. Yeah, that may have been a bit confusing. <laughs> and have, and yeah. have the design look like those pins. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, if you look at the poster, actually, the Q of Quantum is on his lapel. So uh, not by design, probably. Mm. Um, all right. So this was a, this was a good rundown. Um, is everybody happy with their selections? Or is there anything missing that we would have – I would have expected – somebody to throw a casino into the Fleming list by yeah I, I thought somebody would as well I, I was um, I was debating on it yeah but I kind of just for the sake of authenticity I couldn't let Honor Majesty's go by right yeah but it, it, I mean in the in the um, in the Fleming box set there I mean we've got we've got Dr. No from Russia with Love and No Goldfinger but Thunderball and Majesties and yeah. it, I, I reckon people are going to look at that and say what Mm. Well, well they, no the, the, the film adaptation was quite different for Goldfinger with the plot and how they spun it, and yeah. right. So, out of the out of those, you would argue that Goldfinger wouldn't pip any of those. More, no, sure, know? sure. No, no, I, I, uh, I absolutely, I, I don't disagree with that. But um, as a, as a box set, uh, most most uh, Bond fans don't really care about the books at all, so they don't care right. how much yeah. Fleming is in the films. So um, on that basis, there's a there's a bit of a, an absence in in Goldfinger, and also, also uh, you only live. Well, twice. and since we I'll- since we can't have a podcast without mentioning Die Another Day, the thing is, there we there's like. <laughs> There's actually a fair amount of Fleming content in the first half of the movie because it's sort of like a de facto adaptation of the Moonraker novel. Um, yes, and, and Miranda Frost was going to be Gala Brand in the right. original. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and Gustav Graves is like, you know, Hugo Drax with a new name. And uh, yeah, so that's a sort of an indication just because it has a fair amount of Fleming content doesn't mean it's a great James Bond movie, but mm. I will, you know, going back to casino real quick, cause you, you were, you guys were talking before about, have you ever had the experience of going to the movie after you've, you've read the book and this would be my one and only time where I, I did read mm. the book probably several times actually, right. and then go to see the adaptation. And I, I think it was based on that, that I think I kind of was sort of jumping out of my seat for Casino because I thought, honestly, you know, throughout the Brosnan era, I always wondered, like, you know, I wonder, wonder what they would do if they ever got Casino back. And and my prediction would be that they would do some sort of an adaptation where there's a card game and they would use the name of the villain, et cetera, and right. the name of the, the heroine. And But there would probably have to be some, like, you know, laser beam somewhere you know that would be the bigger plot we couldn't let this be the plot so the fact that they actually did allow the fleming the thrust of the book to be the thrust of the film i thought was incredible and i and i did see scenes on the big screen that that i never thought i would ever see uh yeah me too too. i mean mean, that sort of blew my mind the fact that they actually did some of those scenes and they literally honestly i can i can genuinely say they looked exactly how i pictured some of them yeah so i mean that was sort of a thrill for me absolutely absolutely so is there anything else um that we thought might go a different way on the list i i thought somebody would pick you and live twice for a non-fleming just to be awkward but yeah i i, I did consider that as well that, that i think that was probably my my plan c <laughs> Well, like I said, I, I like The Spy Love Me a bit more than You Only Live yeah. Twice, but they're very similar in tone, obviously. Um, All right. So two box set suggestions for uh, 20th Century Fox slash Disney to uh, consider. Um, interesting, um, if you go back and look at when the U.S. DVD box sets were first released, they had a pseudo-random order of yes. films. There was no logic to it whatsoever. Um, I have, although, though, yeah. yeah. I, oh, yeah, that, that you've just reminded me. Earlier on, um, Bill was talking about um, the books, and I, I remember when I was a kid and reading the pan books, and that they used to list the the novels in some kind of random order in the front. And uh, it, I, I've never been able to work out uh, <laughs> any any kind of uh, of order there it was it was I'll, I'll i'll have to dig one of them out one of these days and uh, and read them to you because they they just don't make any sense it's it's not alphabetical it's not the order they were written in it's just completely and utterly random i remember that as well i remember having a few when i was younger and I, and getting into the books and i would see that in the front and then all of a sudden getting really confused not knowing literally what I, again back then i didn't have an internet to look at i had no idea how, what order to read the books right and I remember those box sets because I think Dr. No maybe came out in 1999 as part of that box set. But From Russia With Love didn't come out until 2000 because it's got a 2000 copyright date on the uh, making of uh, featurette that accompanies yeah, it. But it was it was just it was almost like somebody put a tombola and picked five films out. And that was the yeah. first MGM box set. It was right. Absolutely strange. All right. Did everybody enjoy the ukulele song about Blofeld last week? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very <laughs> that much was, so. Yeah, that was excellent. All right. So I'm going to kind of bring it back down again now. And um, I always wondered what it would be like if a South Korean K-pop band did a song about Bond girls with a rap. So, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're in for a real treat. Yes, you are. Um, <laughs> 
absolutely it's a good one it gets you moving all right um <laughs> <laughs> that's great so thanks very much uh bill david and joseph and um say our adieus and we'll do this again next time and here's zion t to play us out